Hey everyone, this podcast is part of Story Mode, the podcast network of Gamefully Unemployed. You can support us and gain access to other great exclusive podcasts at patreon.com slash gamefullyunemployed. That's patreon.com slash g-a-m-e-f-u-l-l-y unemployed, which is spelled like it sounds. Hi everybody! <laughs> Hello everyone! <laughs> Uh, my name is David Bell. Uh, I'm Tom Ryman. I'm Jason Pargin. Yeah, we just watched funny games. <laughs> they weren't. They weren't that funny. They were not the games. that funny. I mean, I wasn't laughing uproariously. We wetten, dass ihr in fünf Stunden alle drei kaputt seid, okay? A little, a, a several hearty chuckles, but never, never guffaws, never belly yeah. laughter. Yeah. Uh, Jason, you suggested this one to us. Yeah, yes. and I really need to know why. <laughs> First of all, thanks for being on. Because <laughs> it is, it is October. It is, it is yeah. spook. It is spooktober. Excuse me, shocktober. <laughs> it is shocktober. It is haunted. Ween season uh, and I wanted a scary movie and this is the scariest movie I have ever seen sure. or at least the most upsetting and I realize some people out there the moment someone says they found a film scary will feel the need to reply you thought that was scary I I let my children watch that you yeah. must have an <laughs> awfully small penis to be scared by a movie like this I show this movie at my church group. Yeah, we, we laughed. We thought it was funny. Um, it's the horror as a professional horror writing person. Let me tell you, horror depends entirely on your personality, your sensibilities, your taboos, your traumas, the things in your life. Okay. There are things that scare you that do, yeah. that do not scare me. You know, some people are scared of bugs. Some people are scared of ghosts. This movie does a lot of, in my opinion, genius things that violate rules of horror that you did not even know were rules until you saw them violated. And it yes. is extremely upsetting, but contains virtually no gore. There are hardly any on-screen deaths. There's a little bit of blood, but it is not shocking in the way that you think it's going to be. There, it actually nothing we can say in this episode can fully prepare you for what is upsetting about this movie. Because on the surface, it, it would appear to be almost PG thirteen. Yes, right. It's not. It's um, not like a I spit on your grave or Texas Chainsaw. It's not that kind of shocking. I do want to say that there are two versions of this movie, both directed uh, where, by the where, same guy. Yes, uh, Michael Haneke, um, I believe. Yeah, uh, it, it, he re he originally for the first one, the one we're talking about, was made in '97. But from what I can tell, it's identical the 2007 remake because he originally wanted this to take place in America. This movie, mm -hmm. so having not watched the remake, the remake might be a more realized version of this film well let me let me explain the situation was the director this movie was made in austria and it's filmed in german he made it for american audiences because it's supposed to be a commentary on like american and hollywood attitudes toward violence and things like that 
But he's like, after he made it, since the film is in German with subtitles, he realized like it's not reaching anyone. If it was an American, Americans are not going to watch a movie that they have to read. Yeah. It's an, it's an art house thing. So an American producer reached out to him and said, let's make it again for American audiences with an English, English speaking cast, American cast. And it stars Tim Roth. And, uh, is it Naomi Watts, Naomi Watts. Um, and that, that one came out 10 years later and I don't know that it was any kind of a big hit at all, but as the same director, it is shot for shot, line for line exact. But I, my favorite horror movie is the original, not because I'm some movie snob where it's like, it's gotta be in the original German. It is because for me personally, the moment you see famous actor faces in a movie like this. It takes me out of it a little bit. You see, like, like it's, it, a, it's a weird feeling of comfort, even if the actor or actress is not necessarily in like a safe position. Like you immediately feel like, yeah. oh, well, it's Naomi Watts, so I know this isn't real. Because there's I think, that level of like meta commentary of, wow, I can't believe Tim Roth agreed to be in this movie. Like I can't <laughs> quite detach myself. And so for me, it is much, much scarier seeing the original film where all of these faces are totally unknown to me. And the fact that they're speaking German, there's like a layer of kind of it's like an alien nature to it, which might be partially due to racism. I don't know. But either <laughs> way, if I was trying to if when I say this is the scariest movie you've ever seen, it, it, in my opinion, I'm talking about the German one, the, the, the one that was filmed in Austria. Yeah, I can I can see what you're talking about with I, I think part of the point of what this director is trying to make, it does lend itself to it being famous people. In fact, like, I think I would have liked it if he chose like people like Harrison Ford, people who like typically are heroic in movies, mm-hmm. uh, for this, but, um, shit. Oh yeah. I, I was going to say that the, the director also says he doesn't think it's a horror movie, which is very interesting. Uh, th- that, that, <sighs> He doesn't intend it to be a horror movie. I know why this scares you, Jason. I know why this movie is scary. Yeah, uh, I, I sort of like like when Ari Aster was saying that about like um, Hereditary. Oh, it's not a horror movie; it's a family drama. Like when horror when directors make a movie that is obviously a horror movie and say this uh, this isn't a horror movie, they can get right the fuck out of my face. With that. Sure, 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 sure. Well, and from my point of view, I don't. Like genre labels don't mean anything to me. And again, I realize that's the second thing that has made me sound like the most pretentious film person <laughs> in the world. But I get asked that a lot about books where it's like, well, what would you, how would you classify this? Is it, is it like a sci-fi comedy or something? It's like, I don't, you're asking me like what tags Amazon should put on it or what shelf Barnes and Noble should put it on. I, that feels like their decision. When I'm writing it, I don't sit down and say, you know what? I want to break into the the cyberpunk genre. Like, that's not how I work. Now, that's how maybe a fan would think of it. But in terms of whether or not he considers this to be horror, I don't. I just don't care. I, it is the scariest sure. movie I've, I know of. But reading interviews with this director will not make you want to watch his movies more. No. <laughs> He's a, he's a I, real son of a bitch. Well, I get I get where he's coming from with a lot of what he says. I don't agree with a lot of what he says, but I think it's important to listen to him. Oh, and the whole reason I brought this is I think there's a lot to be discussed yeah. about well, what it's trying to say with the point. Because it's true. I'm using this as entertainment because I find it really scary. But 
from his point of view, he would be mad at me for doing that. Like he would be <laughs> yes. mad at me coming on the show saying it's a scary movie because his whole thing is like, well, if you like this movie, it means you're a dick. Right. Um, well, for people who haven't watched it, Jason, you want to describe what this movie is actually about? Uh, sure. It's right. yeah. There's a family, and they are going. They are kind of an upper class family. It's a father's wife named George and Anna or Anna, however they would say it in the movie. Their young son Georgie and their dog, and they go to their vacation home in Austria. It's this beautiful lakeside place with like other rich people vacation homes. And while they're there, a couple of college age guys show up and they're wearing like I guess tennis clothes, like like a white t-shirt and yeah, they're like, shorts or golf outfits or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Real country club outfits. And they start. They show up. And just very subtly start imposing themselves on the family in obnoxious ways. Like one guy keeps asking that the two guys are named Peter and Paul. Um, and Paul is kind of like seems to be in charge. And Peter is like his kind of his sidekick, I guess. And they keep, for instance, they ask to borrow some eggs and then intentionally drop them and then ask to borrow another egg. And they just keep doing it. And you start to get a sense that there's something off about these guys and they keep like escalating and torturing this family until it goes places you didn't know a movie is not supposed to go until you saw a movie do it. Because yeah. if I just, the way I describe it, it's like, well, a couple of psychopaths like hold this family hostage for an entire day and basically come up with a series of sadistic games or toy with them or whatever. That doesn't get at it because there you can imagine what the ending of that movie would look like, which is that one of the members of the family, probably a teenage daughter, she breaks free and kills the captors and then she gets away. And either you do an, in a movie ending thing where she successfully gets away or if you are a dark movie director, then she thinks she's gotten away, but then she dies at the end. And then that's like the final scare is that one of the guys was still alive. This movie does not do any of that. No, it's kind of an anti-movie. It really uh, is. There's yeah. a movie that seems to hate its audience and it yes. seems to be mad at you for watching it. It's part of the point of the movie is the movie takes you hostage, like the audience. Yes. Uh, they they break the fourth wall a lot, or at least one Paul of, does. One of He's them. the only Paul. one that does. Yeah, uh, talks directly to us. Um, talks about how he's in a movie. At does one, things at, at one point literally rewinds the movie to undo something he doesn't like. Yes, uh, he has complete control. So you realize pretty quickly that you're you're sort of at the mercy of this guy, no matter what. Mm -hmm. And I think the idea idea of the film is to make you feel uh helpless is to make you feel because like normally i don't like movies i've talked about this before movies where it's a character's trapped in the house and they have to escape you you constantly think of smarter things for that character to be doing mm -hmm. uh because they're fighting the screenwriter that's literally what's happening in this movie is they they're the movie is the, the the point of the movie is these people can't escape no matter what they do even if they do the right thing the film will rewind itself and change uh be, because again you're you're helpless you're completely helpless watching the movie yeah and you you don't want what's going to happen to these people to happen to these people 
yeah, this movie is just punishing you <laughs> for an hour and 45 minutes. Yeah, but it's <laughs> from my end, it's beautifully put together because like the initial act of violence is just the which I can't remember which one I think it's Paul just hits the husband in the leg with a golf club mm-hmm. yeah and like breaks his kneecap or something which is an injury that in most movies like three scenes later you've just shrugged off I mean in most American movies you can get shot and still participate in a kung fu fight you know a couple of scenes later right in this movie that injury as in real life since it's untreated just keeps getting worse because you know it swells up and it locks up and you you know you can't it gets yeah, he's, he's bleeding all over the place it's and it's from a that, serious problem from that point on he's useless as a, yeah. like he can't do anything and so everything you expect to happen like all of the acts of heroism kind of just you're like well gosh how are they going to get out of this and over and over again the movie's like oh they're not these are just average people like they're going to try just pure survival instinct they're going to try a couple of things but in real life, people just get killed all the time. And so the director, he, I said that, that you wouldn't like this director if you watched interviews with him. He is very much somebody, his whole thing is that Hollywood movies glorify violence even when the movie is about, like some, like he complains that Schindler's List glorifies scenes in the whole, because right. it's, taking, it's taking the violence and making entertainment out of it. And no matter if the movie supposedly has some message against violence is still filming it and staging it in what he says is a, a very pornographic way like it's intended to look he, cool he there's yeah if you if you've seen it on twitter there's it's, a very funny video it's pretty incredible yeah where he's talking about schindler's list and why he doesn't believe it's moral and the camera like pans over to reveal that he's talking in a room with Judd Apatow and fucking John and Krasinski. John Krasinski. <laughs> and they look so in over their heads. <laughs> well, because this, this director doesn't really speak English. He said all that in German. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's such a good video. <laughs> I, I don't know. I would love to know what that appearance was, what they thought they were doing there, but... I watched the full video. You can watch why, the full video. Why would that John guy Krasinski, was in the same room with Judd Apatow and John yeah. Krasinski? John Krasinski gives an okay answer at the end, and Jed Apatow says nothing. And it's some it's some Hollywood Reporter thing, where um, like I I don't know I don't know why they're doing it. I don't know why they're there exactly. I think it's just some like round table situation. Um, the funniest thing is under John Krasinski's name, the thing they credit him for is the movie Promised Land for some reason. Uh, I'm not sure why. Did he direct that? I don't think so. Uh, <laughs> I think he's in it. But I would, I would. No, Gus Van Sant directed that. I would personally prefer, like, the message of his whole thing about how movie violence corrupts people. I prefer to leave that toward the end because it's if the listeners have not watched this movie yet, I'd like to go through. Sure. Because I, the, we have to get this out of the way now, partially because that's the director's stated purpose of making the movie. Is his, his whole right. thing is I want you. The whole thing is a mo- normally in movie violence. You don't feel bad about it because it doesn't affect you. I wanted to do violence that affects you, like you, like you feel the pain of what's happening here. And I, I think he did that. He uh, sure did in in a few ways. Um, so, for example, like after he the the main bad guy disables the husband with the golf club the next thing that happens is they realize their dog is missing 
and he starts playing paul starts playing this game with them like go find the dog Hot and cold, says, like, yeah. yeah you're getting warmer you're getting colder and then you see in the distance like the mother opens up the the car the the dog's dead body spills out onto the ground and the best moment in the movie one of my favorite moments in any movie is for the first time paul is in the foreground and he just turns and looks at you the viewer and he and winks smirks. Yeah, yeah, he, he like right, has right a smirk she, and like, like, yeah. can you believe this, this idiot? Like, haha, and it's like, you know, because up to that point, nobody has broken the fourth wall. That's the first time he's turned yep. and looked at you and says, "Oh yeah, you're," without saying anything. But his expression is is amazing. That's why, that's one reason why I would worry about watching the remake because I don't know how many actors could nail that the way he does. Because it's the most chilling thing I've seen in a long time. And again, I'm someone who watches like slasher movies. Like, I'll just put them on. Like, you're not going to find one right. I haven't seen. I, I just, I'm a horror guy. I will just throw them up there. You know, if, if I watch, like, some uh, some guy being torn limb from limb and his face is ripped off, my only thought is, oh, their makeup is great. Like, that's a great <laughs> yeah. makeup effect. Yeah. They must have used some CGI and some some latex. Like, that's really cool. But I'm never like, oh, my gosh, that guy's face got ripped off. But that moment, which, again, up to that point, all this happened is a guy got hit in the leg with a golf club and a dog has died. Um, but what that portends and then realize what kind of movie you're watching at that moment is just it's amazing. It's also the way the scene is shot, which makes me I need to watch the remake now um, specifically for the cinematography, because the way this movie is shot um, and I want to get into like specifics later, but like a lot of very wide shots Mm -hmm. uh on a tripod slow pans uh covering the entire scene uh long takes not anything fancy not like oh look at we did it all in one take kind of shot no it's just shot for efficiency almost but it's showing something horrifying slowly unfold or something horrifying already having happened right and the Uh, and the dog shot is the same way where it's a slow pan Mm -hmm. and she's looking around and then he he's just happens to be in the foreground because he kind of I think he either steps he into steps, the shot he the steps shot. into the shot yeah yeah and suddenly it changes the uh, composure of the shot mm-hmm. and then ha- the dog rolls out and him turning and winking it's just like oh Jesus yeah he act- he winks before she opens the door but okay yeah. yeah it's like when she starts to walk towards the Range Rover is when he turns the camera uh, yeah like every it's, ve- it's very it's very like uh, old seventies it, re- it reminded horror. me of Halloween. Um, in yeah. that the, the the frames are all so big. Like there's just, like you said, it's every shot's like really wide and it's like showing you stuff that's really ordinary. And um, it, I think it's the same intent as Halloween where it's like, hey, here's this horrible thing invading this normal setting. Right. There's also um, no score. Yeah, that helps. At any point in the movie, there is no score. I didn't realize it until it was almost like 20 minutes before it was over. I was like, there hasn't been a score in a single scene in this film. Yeah. Okay. And then let me, if there's anyone listening who has not watched this movie and you would like to experience it, now would be a good time to pause the show. Yes. And go, because it's, it's uh, I, I, Tom and David, they're not going to lose like ad revenue if you pause the show right now and go and watch it right like this, <laughs> this is, is a patreon driven operation so you're not uh like our conversation about it will actually mean more to you if you pause and go and go watch it um 
because we're going to get into spoilers that actually will ruin the effect of the movie if you know what's coming. Yes. That obviously we are going to discuss it because that would be, you can't fill an entire podcast just hinting at, <laughs> hinting at things. Uh, so yes, please. And this is probably your final warning because the issue about not having a score as key characters that you didn't think could die, die. They are not granted like the heroic emotional score or editing or anything else. So after the dog has been killed, you've got three characters left. Again, husband, wife, and their and their young boy. And at one point, the young boy escapes and gets mm-hmm. to a neighbor's house, which in many movies like this, this is part of the cat and mouse game where the survivors are trying to you know, because horror is is normally actually is you know one reason I like horror and like writing it. It is actually normally about the triumph of the human spirit over monsters. Usually, the good guys either win, and then even if you do a Day of the Dead thing where they all die in the final shot or whatever, still it, they died after a heroic battle and escape, and they did everything they could. You know, it's still heroic. It's just some horror movies still end with the bad guy being alive because they want to make sequels. But here, the kid escapes, and for some reason, I can't remember, he loses, like, his pants, or he's wearing, like, overalls, or... He takes them off. Yeah, he he takes them off because he's making uh, wet footprints because he went through the lake. Yeah, and so it's like this kid now just in, like, a t-shirt with no pants on, which makes him seem, like, more vulnerable or whatever, and he finds a shotgun and aims it at, at... Paul, Paul and it doesn't it doesn't go off it's it's not it's unloaded or it's got the safety on or something I think it's not loaded because he tells him to cock it and he pulls the trigger and, and the hammer goes yeah. for it just and nothing happens and then later on Paul hands Peter two cartridges he's like here these the kid help us out yeah he 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 hauls the kid right back to the house where he's holding everybody hostage um, and now they have a loaded shotgun and what point at one point in their on the TV, they're like watching a race or something. It's yeah. just playing in the background. And at one point, Paul gets up to go to the kitchen to make a sandwich. The camera this fall- is my favorite part. Go on. Sorry. The camera. It's one of the best sequences in the history of horror cinema. The I think cam- so. Yeah. The camera follows him into the kitchen as he casually gets uh, meat and cheese and stuff out of the fridge to make a sandwich. And then you hear a shotgun go off in the other room. And the parents screaming, and then he walks in there, and the kid has been killed, and his blood is yeah. splattered on this TV. Some key stuff. He continues to make the sandwich. Conti- he continues, yeah. yeah, he continues yeah. to make the sandwich, and then he walks off screen, and it holds on the kitchen, and you can hear him arguing with Peter. It still doesn't cut to the living room. He's arguing. Right. It's like, well, you shot one of them. Why'd you do that? He's like, well, he was trying to run away. He's like, well, now we can't do anything with the other two. We got to leave now. So you hear him argue and leave before it even cuts back to the to the living room. And then when it cuts right. back to the living room, it's just the mom sitting there, hunched over, stunned, and the kid's got his head blown off, and there's blood all over the TV, and the race is still playing, and she just sits there motionlessly for like I fi- it felt like an eternity. The camera she actually moves. holds that shot forever. Yeah, there's no score. There's no nothing. It is a mother and a father in a room with the corpse of their dead child with this TV still playing the stupid race and they're both bound and she eventually like gets up and and tries and like hobbles over there. She's and turns to manage to to turn the TV off. But you just sit there and you're not granted the escape of cutting to a different shot or cutting to close ups or anything. You're just sitting there for a very long time. The uh, 
the race I thought was really amazing because the way they set that up is they show him channel surfing Mm -hmm. and it's almost like this window to the normal world in that shot because the mother's in the shot where he's channel surfing and she's tied up and she looks horrible uh and and that's before setting it all up and he sets gets to the race and you don't think anything of it but when he starts going into the kitchen and when you realize what's happening the sound of the cars is kind of horrifying it's a very abrasive sound yeah uh it doesn't cut out it doesn't stop it's just this drone this droning uh machine sound and so it actually like serves as horror music for the sequence uh which i thought was really smart it was really cool yes it's a grating Uh, it's like grating engine noises and and, yeah all that yeah there's also we talk about these wide shots there's one scene that doesn't do the wide shot that i thought was interesting uh and that's when uh just backing up a little bit before they kill the kid they make the mother strip in front of them yeah with a they pillowcase pu- over the kid's head. They put a pillowcase over the... And they act like it's a game. They're guessing if she has any belly fat or something like that. And the way they shoot it is... If this was any other horror movie, a producer would be like, well, it's an opportunity to see someone naked. A naked woman. You know? Let's let's uh, let's do it. Not, not even like bothering with the fact that it's a horrifying scenario that they're making this woman strip. And instead, the director shoots only their faces, and it makes it so uncomfortable and so disturbing as they they just close ups of everybody's face as she's doing this. Uh, it's 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 really well done, because again, it's the director making the audience feel what they're feeling in such a good way, and never never uh, letting up on that. And to, yeah. draw, Never looking away. to draw a contrast with a movie that I talk about a lot that is sort of in the same genre but doesn't really execute it quite as well, um, Death Wish 3. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. The, when classic, the, classic Death Wish. The, like the key moment when the crime, This I wrote an entire article about this for Sean Baby's site, but this is the one where the major plot point that where things turn around is Charles Bronson orders a larger gun through the mail. Uh, sure. And, yes. that's, and that solves their crime problem because he now has a larger gun than what the the, the bad guys do. <laughs> that he yeah, immediately like, drops, if I remember correctly. Anyway. <laughs> uh, well, he gets he upgrades to like a machine gun in the yeah, third and then and by, then finally a bazooka. Yeah, finally a bazooka. As <laughs> by the rules of screenwriting, like obviously. Um, but anyway, like the key moment in that movie is supposed to be like the low point for the heroes is they rape and murder uh, the. It's the wife of one of his Charles Bronson's neighbors, yeah, allies, yeah, or whatever, and they're just so sure to give you like a nice shot of her breasts, of her of her bare breasts as she's being attacked and and right, and then eventually killed. She dies in the hospital later, but you know they cast a woman with perfect breasts and then made sure to catch those because in the eighties, like an action movie about how crime is out of control, if you didn't have that scene, the audience would just riot. Like you got it. Right. Um, so and then it's just like this nod and a wink to the audience. It's like, hey, you're not enjoying this, are you? Because this is a terrible crime we're watching here, right? Huh? Uh, yeah. You're not. You know, none of us are. This isn't salacious at all. This is, of course, we're not. It's like, okay, 
I mean, you could have had it be an old woman getting attacked. You could have done a lot of things different, but uh, we all know what's going on here. So, uh, yeah. And, and see, this is the thing. Normally, if somebody makes a movie where their entire mission is to show you that movies are actually bad, that's usually a terrible movie. <laughs> this yeah. guy accidentally made an incredibly effective piece of horror cinema when his entire mission was to like to like yell at you for enjoying this this kind of thing but just showing her face as she has to take off her clothes in front of her family and in front of these armed men and only showing her face and not and denying us seeing anything else makes it so much scarier and so much worse because you're just reading every emotion on her face like you're just reading what she's going through uh and it's, it, it, you know, it, he, I don't know, I, I don't want to say he accidentally made a great horror movie, because again, he, this is all very purpose, purposeful, it's just that if he heard us talking about how, well, this is better than the other horror movies I watched that week, I think he would hate that, because it, it's like, no, this is supposed to be, it, it would be like, you know, saying that Natural Born Killers is a great action movie, it's, it's like Oliver Stone <laughs> be like, no, right. this is well, to teach you the violence is wrong. I do think he <laughs> wants us to feel horrified. Yes. And in that sense, he is like, I, I think it's it's just real pretentious being like, I don't think this is a horror movie. It's like, well, you set out to make a movie that would disturb us. Uh, I think that's part of the point, right? Is yeah. uh, making us feel it like sh- being like, look at the, look at her face. You can't look away. You have to look at her face while this is happening. He knows that we're going to feel uh, absolute horror mm-hmm. at that. Um uh, unless we're unless we're uh you know unless we're maniacs yeah some kind um, of goblin there's a quote from him and i know we'll get into this more later but he uh uh he he's he had an essay about kind of talking about showing violence and he actually calls out death wish which is funny um but he he said the question on the topic of violence is not how do i show violence but rather, how do I show the viewer his own position vis-a-vis violence and its portrayal? So how to make someone recognize what they're doing, what, what he's doing, and how do they recognize, how to make the viewer like recognize what they're feeling about it, I guess? Uh, and so I thought that was very interesting with a scene like this. Because they're showing you... You know, if you're used to stuff like Death Wish and you're watching a movie like this, do you get disappointed they don't show her naked? You know, are you like, oh, they didn't show it because that says a lot about you. Um, him, him putting it straight on her face uh, and how you feel about that is, I think, what he needed, wanted to achieve. And boy, he does a good job at it in this. If for yeah. people in the listenership who did not have not seen the Death Wish movies, because you may think it's weird that we keep referring to it, the story, very briefly, the story behind Death Wish is Death Wish was a novel from the mid-70s, which America was in a just an absolute crime yeah. hellscape at that time due to a number of factors. But the cities and, and like had become unlivable in many cases. Like the thing that Donald Trump pretends is going on now was actually happening in the 70s when people like wouldn't ride the subway because there's such a high chance you right. would be attacked. So but the guy wrote a novel that was a cautionary tale about 
taking vengeance because it was about this guy who is an architect um, and his wife gets killed in a violent crime. And so he goes on like a he becomes a vigilante. But the novel is basically a horror novel because it's about how this breaks him. And then by the end of the book, he's just like killing teenagers for no reason. Like he kills a, a group of kids who are just like throwing rocks at a school bus or something like that. And the point of the book is like. It, it, you have a death wish it, like you like you embark on this path it basically it's that thing that you just just go ahead and dig two graves because it's not you know this is not right. how it works you are breaking the law yourself so then they made it into a movie <laughs> <laughs> and hollywood of course had some notes about that in the yeah. movie you know america is in the middle of this you know they're watching the news every night and crime's out of control and here's this movie about this middle-aged white guy who is able to defeat crime by being better at guns yeah it's like yeah that that kicks ass and so <laughs> they wound up making five death wish movies across the five movies charles bronson would kill 115 people <laughs> <laughs> would be the most prolific serial killer in world history it wouldn't even be close in the climax of death wish three for example when he gets that machine gun i counted he killed 44 people <laughs> which would be the largest mass shooting in history prior to right. the Las Vegas shooting. Like it, it, the idea that in, there's any neighborhood in New York where you could shoot 44 people and like nobody would notice is ludicrous. Like, and the news would not, would not have it like, you know, hero kills 44 gangsters. It would just be mass shooting in downtown New York or whatever city they did. Maybe in Chicago. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Cause they did probably didn't shoot it there anyway. So these movies and the author actually wrote a sequel Death Wish book that was like emphasized even harder that vigilante acts of vigilanteism is this fantasy for middle aged white assholes. And it just that book was completely ignored. Meanwhile, they just cranked out one blockbuster Death Wish movie after another <laughs> where Charles Bronson is now he has like flamethrowers and, and rocket launchers. And, you know, it's just this it gets more and more absurd. And whatever message they had about violence being bad just gets totally lost for the reason this guy talks about. Because the moment, you know, Charles Bronson, big star in the 70s, charismatic, you know, for, for the era, was like a prototypical tough guy, you know. Um, and even though he's like playing an architect, that doesn't matter. The moment he's got a gun in his hands, he's a superhero. Because that's the right. American fantasy is that once you've got the gun... You can do you can do anything, and you can beat the bad guys, and that's a good guy with a gun will solve will solve everything. They, so the kid, just real quick, in oh sure, just because it directly relates to that point, the kid bringing the gun to the house to try to fight the bad guys ends up getting two of them killed in this right. movie, which is yeah. like the statistic of gun ownership. Like if you have a gun in the house, you're more likely to be shot with your own gun right. either on purpose or by accident because yeah, adding the gun to the mix does not make the situation better for them <laughs> no yeah. if you're not trained in using a gun the bad guy has the advantage because that that person probably does have experience using a gun yeah. or at least they're more willing less likely to hesitate whatever but it's the, yeah it plays directly into the the fantasy the way this the the director called out death wish which i think is one of the best points he makes um, in his essay is he talks about how there's several ways that movies make violence acceptable. And the one that always bothers me because it, this isn't just used for violence is 
putting the characters in a situation where you're like, well, what else is there to do? Like, that's what Death Wish is, right? It's like, well, you can't reason with these people, so you have to shoot them. It's creating an imaginary situation in which violence is the only solution, mm-hmm. uh, which I think movies have a big problem with for other things. I think, uh, like, the, the, the Avengers films do that thing where they're like, should they have ultimate power? It's kind of fascist, like fascist, for like these few people to have all this power. We should talk about it, right? And like, then they're like, "Oh, here comes Thanos." Never yeah, mind. Like Captain America's famous "No, you move" speech is given in response to the government wanting to have oversight, like them right. having them needing to have to answer to somebody. Is what he gives this, that speech in relation uh, to. Right, and I, I, I've made this comparison before, much like the Death Witch book versus the movie. I feel like there's the same relationship to the movie Team America and the Avengers, where Team America was like, let's do a comedy about a bunch of people in high tech gear going around the country, kind of being assholes, mm-hmm. like doing whatever they want. And then Avengers comes along. They're like, OK, that but unironic. Right. We're going to uh, unironically have Charles Bronson shoot a man in the chest with a bazooka. <laughs> exactly. It's 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 oh, let's 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 miss the point it's the how they're gonna remake starship troopers but like like the book which apparently was like very fashy from what i've re- uh, uh, uh heard the movie is too the movie but the movie is a uh, satire right on that yeah as opposed to the book was apparently not earnest no the, yeah. yeah uh so it's that sort of thing where like i think we do we love to justify things in movies because you'll hear people say that when you when you point out like the Avengers have too much power, people are like, yeah, but Thanos, and it's like, yeah, but the writers made up Thanos, right? They brought like, Thanos here. Like, yeah. what, what happens when like Iron Man gets pissed off because I don't know his stocks go down? I, I, I don't know, right? Or he, he's just drunk, right? Yeah, yeah. he's just drunk flying Which around it, in his suit. Again, they touch on these ideas, but they never answer them because they're like, oh, here comes a bad guy. Never mind. Uh, so they're aware of it, but they don't have a good answer because the good answer is, no, we really shouldn't have these people. And the, uh, it's it's not a good thing. Um, the book Starship Troopers is actually also specifically about that because it's it, it's written in a way that I kind of don't mind science fiction where it's set up as a thought experiment. And the whole concept of Starship Troopers is... Well, all of the things you think of as bad in terms of, you know, like forcing people into the military, conscripting people, you know, it, it, all these really tight controls that, that kind of make a society militaristic. What if it was species versus species and only one right. we can survive? And so it's presented as kind of now, obviously, again, the entire point we're making is that ultimately he stacks the deck because he paints a scenario where only fascism could save us or at least only like the things we think of as like personal freedoms, it's like, no, you, you can't go off and be an artist. You you have to join the military because we need every single able-bodied person to fight right. to fight the bugs. And like, no, you can't be a pacifist because it's species versus species. Like your, your pacifism will work right up until the final bug rips your throat out. We have to fight. And so in terms of like it's science fiction in the era, it, I think it kind of came out during like there's an anti-war movement in America and it's kind of maybe a little bit of a rebuttal to that. But if you say, okay, well, but that's not the situation we had with Vietnam. 
like when they said it's us versus communism, that was a, a lie. Like Vietnam, right. it, like, like the idea that we needed to sacrifice that much and, and kill two million people for what was going on there, only to leave and the situation's exactly the same when we left. Like you're trying to claim it's species, you know, versus species when it's not. And that's the whole thing is you're intentionally arranging a scenario where killing everyone you see is the only answer. Right. And in it, fact, we talked the movie, the first movie we discussed dragged across concrete. Our whole criticism against that was the same. Where in the right, universe of the movie, it kind of makes sense for Mel Gibson to be a racist. <laughs> it's like, okay, but you wrote all that. Yeah. Right. It's someone <laughs> playing with action figures. They're setting it all up. Yeah. And in this movie, um, he does he does that. Like he makes he makes Peter and Paul these impossibly evil people and you just you hate them and you want them to die but he he denies giving the audience right. that expected result the movie version that i like for violence for justifying violence i just have to bring this up because it sure it's it's i've brought it up several times it's the funniest fucking mov- moment in a movie is murder at 1600 <laughs> where yes. it's that it's the it's the trope that's in all these movies where um the good guy's like the bad guy is defeated right and he's going to get arrested. And the good guy's like, I won't shoot you. And then the bad guy brings out a gun and they're like, well, got to shoot him. Because shoot the, him audience, the audience wants the violence. They want the bad guy to die. So they have to force the hand. And the funniest one is in Murder at 1600 where Alan Alda, who's like a politician, he's like, he's like a, a senator. Um, or he's like the speaker of the house or something. He turns out to be the bad guy and at the last minute grabs a secret service person's gun and points it at the president. And I think the secret service or Wesley Snipes or whoever has to just gun down Alan Alda playing a politician. And it's like, why he would never do that. He's, he's going to go to a white collar prison and, and be there for a couple years at best. And no, he, he acts like he's, uh, like every other bad guy and pulls out a gun it's mm-hmm. the funniest fucking like thing. he had an ankle holster or something yeah it's the funniest <laughs> thing to see them be like he's got a gun and just rip tear into alan alda um yeah we should probably focus back on the movie yeah. but anyway um so after the the child is killed there's a moment where you you guys mentioned like the two peter and paul they leave and yeah. it's implied that they are they've they've decided to move on, and you see the husband and wife like have to you know one they're you fully see them dealing with like the trauma of seeing their child get killed, but now they have to try to do something to to like help themselves because here's the other rule right. that this movie violates over and over again, which is that the good guys are just kind of pathetic yeah and so you know there's she tries to go get help he tries to use his the phone to call someone but it's been it's gotten wet isn't that what it is they Uh, knock it into the sink peter drops Uh, it into the sink during the whole egg breaking charade so before they do the phone they she tries to physically get him out of the room and that's grueling as well because he can't he can barely move yeah he can't walk because yeah. his leg, the, the end, the leg that was injured by the golf club, it just keeps getting worse. Which again, that's, that's how it works. Your body does not yeah. heal in the course of three scenes; it just freezes up and it's it gets swollen, and you can't you can't use the leg. It's 
Um, and it's so infuriating to watch because she's like trying to help him out of there and they're like hobbling along an inch at a time and the camera just holds on them and they look pathetic. There's nothing heroic about it because in real life it's heroism doesn't let you walk on a broken leg. It just doesn't. A human body is actually really easy to get incapacitate. Every moment of violence in this movie, again, this is by design and totally to his point. It's it's all it's inglorious and it's undignified. Yeah, yeah, and and off and off screen, like you didn't even get to see the the child get killed. Like it's not you don't get the dramatic. I don't music think you, or, I don't, you don't see George get killed either. They shoot him. Like the cameras on yeah. him. The cameras on Paul as he points the gun down and shoots George, but you never see it and you don't see his dead body. Yeah. So anyway, they execute their plan to try to get to safety or get help. And the phone is wet. So he has to like pull the battery out of the phone. And then he like tries to like dry it with a, a blow dryer or something. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, he just, it's very pathetic. You just yeah. see him sitting there at a table trying to dry off his phone with a blow dryer. And that's like their grand plan to try to, to get help. Uh, and the wife, because she can walk, tries to go somewhere. And then they, the killers wind up abducting her and, and taking her back to the house. And that's where the there's a sequence where the thing with rewinding the movie, is that before or after the, the husband is George is killed? That's before. Um, okay. Because he's doing the game where he wants her to say a prayer in reverse. And she grabs the gun and shoots Peter. And then Paul freaks out, grabs her remote, reminds it, rewinds it, excuse me has her do the prayer again but this time when she goes for the gun he grabs it and he says okay you broke the rules and you lost so now i'm just gonna kill george and then he shoots george Uh, yeah yeah he he actually and this is again uh, up to this point there's been no hint that they had this ability right i mean Um, he's talked to the camera a few times but he he also he mentioned i thought he complained when they kill the kid like that it ruins the tension it he does yeah yeah, because the kid's the one. The whole thing is, how are they going to protect the kid? You know, like the kid's going to get away. Surely the kid will be the one who gets away. And then the kid gets his head blown off mm-hmm. uh, before the parents. And it's like, whoa, that's the opposite of how this is supposed to go. Uh, and I think he mentions also that when they leave, it's to also give them a chance. Yeah, he said, like, he said it would be it wouldn't be dramatic if, if there was if they didn't have a chance. Right. So he's aware of like the structure of a film. Yeah. It's like Jason was saying earlier. He knows he's in a movie. Yeah. But he's the only Uh, one. He's the only one. Yeah. 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 Um, So anyway. Yeah. But the point is that like they stage this heroic moment, which you are sure is like the whole movie. You're waiting for someone to like be heroic and start the escape that you're you're sure is coming. Like you've seen this movie before. And so she finally works up her courage and snatches like it, it does the traditional thing where it shows the gun and, and it shows where she can get to it and it shows her. And you know, it's like the language of cinema, like setting up what's about to happen. And she grabs it and she kills one of the bad guys. It's like this moment of catharsis. And then uh, Paul in a rage just starts hunting around for the remote and finally finds it and then just rewinds time by a minute. And yeah. does it again in this time and again you know if it's the hero doing something we allow all sort of deus ex machina to you know because ultimately it's in service of them getting away and whatever needs to come to, to help them escape or whatever it's it's all ultimately it's we kind of understand that's how it works in storytelling you know sometimes the heroes you have to make it look like the odds are overwhelmingly against the heroes and then something unlikely has to happen and that's just 
That's just how it works. The idea that the bad guys are the only ones with access to break the rules of the universe in order to succeed. Again, if you didn't, if you haven't watched the movie, if you know it's coming, it's going to ruin it. But it is so out of left field. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and it's such a, and it's God, so it, hopeless it's so, because yeah. it's in that moment you realize, oh, nothing's going to work. Yeah, they can't do anything. Yeah, it's that's that's when it becomes incredibly clear like because you you finally got this moment oh yeah finally like she blows peter away um but then he just takes it back (laughs) and like that's that is like the ultimate moment where you're like oh there's nothing she can possibly do to get away and then kills the father in very anticlimactic act again there's no dignity or no drama no anything given to his death he's just it's yeah he's just killed basically off screen it's incidental then finally it culminates and then she's still tied up and they take her out on a sailboat that's parked there. And they do the thing again where this time they show they've left a knife laying there where she can almost get to it. And she starts like getting a hand free to get to the knife. And then Peter, I think, just takes the knife and just throws it into the water. Yep. Yeah. And yeah. They, they do a whole they, thing. They spot it they, immediately. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, they, they set it up early in the movie mm-hmm. and you're like oh that knife's gonna matter and it's like no nope. no nope. actually then, none of this matters <laughs> and then they're like okay because they they had told them earlier they were going to kill them by 9 a.m and they looked at the timers like that's ah, like eight o'clock let's go ahead and they just shove her off in the water and she plunges into the water and the camera doesn't even show her going in it just she just falls out of frame and they just go and sail on to the next victim and that's it that's your movie yep it's so it's so anticlimactic. Even the ending um, holds the you hostage. Yeah, because the ending is he walks over to this. They sail over to this other couple's house that you saw earlier in the film, and he knocks on the door, asking for eggs again. And she lets him in, and he looks straight down the barrel of the camera and smiles again. And it freezes on his face and plays this metal song that it played in the beginning for like three minutes. It feels like, yeah. and you don't you don't you can't like turn it off because you're like well maybe it's not over yet i don't know so you're just sitting there held captive by him for another minute or two at the end of the film yeah yeah and i i think at the beginning of the movie it's implied they had just come from maybe another house where they had or or something yeah they spot them in the backyard of of their neighbor's house yeah so it's the implication is that they've killed their neighbors the previous day yeah he sees the bodies later the kid oh okay i didn't realize that i mean oh i missed that yeah yeah, he sees the body, or he sees someone's legs, I think. Uh, yeah, that's right. But the, and, the implications yeah, they, they are just going along thing. house to house, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. they do the same thing where the yeah the neighbors show up on the boat. She has to act like everything's all right. Uh, just like they did when they drove by the neighbors. Right, right, because they're out in the front yard with them. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah it's a, uh, oh man. It's a whole it's ass brutal. thing. Yeah, this this movie hates you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's the point. It's the it's point. the point. Yeah, it's it's executed perfectly in, in Again, what its intended it, purpose was. It hates you, or it dares you to be a sadist, because he he looks at you like he's Bugs Bunny. Uh, this character, he looks at the camera, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Oh yeah, you want them to live, don't you? Don't you?" Uh, and uh, then you realize they have all the control you you have to face the you have to face the realization that they're the main characters yeah they're the protagonists 
uh, and that's not fun. And that they're breaking a contract with the viewer that you didn't know you had previously signed. Like all of these rules that they keep breaking, like the fact that the villains are not physically imposing at all. They're just yeah. a couple of dudes. They're just a couple of college kids look like they play tennis or something like that. There's no like iconic you know, weapon or anything yeah. like that. They don't even have any weapons when they come over. Um, for most of the movie, they just have the golf club. Um, yeah. One thing that, that we're talking about, rules you didn't really know existed that this movie kind of puts right out in, in the center, is Paul who is the one, the, the main bad guy, he's the one who breaks the fourth wall. He's the one who does all the smirking and winking and Bugs Bunny stuff. Normally, like in, I feel like in an American version of this movie, one made by like an American filmmaker or in like a, a more traditional Hollywood movie, Paul would be charming, right? He'd be like Heath Ledger's Joker where he'd be like entertained by watching him. Right. Um, and he is not that. Like, you hate yeah. these characters. They're not appealing in any way. They're obnoxious. They're the evil. They're just... Everything about them is, is um, uh, repellent. They also set up um, a hint at redemption because he keeps making fun of his friend for being overweight. He keeps calling him yeah, and for like, be, like, fatty uh, yeah, or something. He keeps calling him tubby and he like tubby. tells us elaborate story like, about like how he's this huge fuck up and all of his brothers right, and sisters and are keeps, drug addicts. He keeps being like, don't call me that. And if it was any other film that would set up a rift between them mm-hmm. that the, the main characters could use. Not in this, not in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> no. And those are more like the thing with giving you like Chekhov's guns that don't pay off yep. later. That's one of the things that you, it's just such, so embedded in the language of cinema that you didn't realize that, yeah, you know, it's like if you're used to sleeping in a room that always has some sort of white noise, like a fan, and suddenly you try to sleep in a silent room and you can't stand it. It's not kind of the same thing here. There are a lot of these rules of, of filmmaking that you didn't really know you depended on until someone takes them away. Yeah. Uh, you know, and the thing like you would expect the dog to survive or that, you know, or the, if the dog dies, it dies in some heroic fashion or, or they show it or something like that. You know, I've definitely seen horror movies where they like leave a bloody dog on the doorstep or something yeah, like that. Like the, right? like the 1996 Mark Wahlberg film fear where they stick the dog's head through the dog door and it's, it's right. That classic film. Classic film, <laughs> Fear, with Mark Wahlberg, yeah. This podcast has the best, like, instant references to... <laughs> it's like, yeah, you know, it's just like in... <laughs> this, this other movie you've never seen or heard of. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, another, um, another movie that this reminded me of that people might have seen and heard of is Nocturnal Animals, because the oh. home invasion... Uh, reminded me it feels like nocturnal animals had a little inspiration Mm -hmm. uh, from this because nocturnal animals um, without spoiling it is a very upsetting film and it has a scene where uh, a a situation that feels mundane slowly gets more and more threatening and escalates to something that you wouldn't think would happen and that's sort of how they do the home invasion which again is kind of subverting your expectations is when when ever a movie does this they break in they grab them they tie them right. up it's or like instant. or it's like it's like uh uh what is the purge where like 
the yeah. Paul character would show up in a mask and give this eloquent speech. It's like, no, they just kind of like, no. kind of it, weirdly come in there and, and slowly start imposing themselves. Right. To the point where before you know it, they're tied up. Yeah. They're hostage. But it starts just being an argument about eggs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like, uh, really, re- like, the, obviously they've planned it, but they make it so, you like, how, you know, knowing movies, I knew what they were up to, but they, they do this thing where you're not quite sure what's happening at first. Yeah. And it's almost like he's, they're gaslighting them. They're, they are. They're yeah. Like, <laughs> they are. Yeah. Like he slaps him and so he breaks his knee and then he's like, you shouldn't have slapped, why did you slap me? And he makes it and then he's like, I, here, let me help you out with your knee. Like they act like they still, they continue to act like they're, they're innocent or they're no, just normal neighbor people. Yeah. Uh, until before they know it, yeah, they're held hostage. American horror movies these days, like the ones we're making in 2020, usually they now have to open with some sort of, like the opening scene has a monster, and then they cut to the family moving into the house 20 years later, just to let you know, don't worry, we're getting to the scares. They'll they'll be here, because they figure that if it's just, they just show a family moving into a creepy house, they're afraid yeah. we'll like storm out of the theater. Like yeah. we can come to <laughs> it's, watch a movie it's, about a family moving into a house. We came here the, to watch. It's the same people who would have rioted in the eighties if there wasn't nudity in every crime movie. Uh, right. Yeah. It's like, you know, we came here to see ghosts. So that now they have to have like a flashback to when the, the witch cursed the house or whatever. And then we cut to the, the white family moving in and slowly, yeah, slowly it's like they all have to have cold opens. Now this movie not only doesn't have that, but they're not in any kind of a creepy neighborhood or home. It's not atmospheric. There's no rain. It's broad daylight. It's a beautiful day. There's nothing to hint to you what's happening. They don't hear on the radio about a string of mysterious deaths. Like everything that you're forced to do now, this the movie, like I can imagine teenagers talking about how boring the, this movie is or how boring yeah, the opening sure. movie is. Yeah. Like, well, nothing they happens. Do, he, he does do some of the structural work. Because they see the neighbors mm-hmm. um, setting up. They do something interesting in the beginning credits, which is, of course, they're listening to classical music. And then when when we only see the car uh, shot from afar, like almost in a voyeuristic way, um, kind of like The Shining, actually. Uh, and then the, we only see their hands uh, and they're listening to classical music. And then the moment it cuts to their faces... I think we get the title there and it cuts to the, the weird metal music. Uh, so they, they, he immediately puts you at a sense of unease. You know, you know the type of movie you're watching. But yeah, it's a slow roll uh, from there. But even then, like the title of the movie is not, does not imply anything. No, funny like games. If, that... you, if, if you stumbled across this in a streaming <laughs> or in a video store or something like that, I, like, I don't know how they marketed it in Germany or in Austria or Germany or whatever markets that it all came out in. Because <clears throat> um, it, you know, it made the film festival rounds and all of that and was, was acclaimed. Um, but I, and I would be curious to know like what the, how, like what, like what the trailer to the American movie looked like for the 2007 version. Um, because there's sort of expectations with audiences now that I don't, well, I mean, obviously like the movie didn't become a big hit, so they're, they're right. And I'm wrong. Like for people, people who like this kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, This is interesting when it, when it screened at Cannes, 
1997, one third of the audience walked out before the. I was going to say my my experience with this film because I knew this film was, I I I knew the film was remade and I thought I didn't know the director had done the remake, and so all I knew about was my friend had saw the remake and I asked him how it was and he hated it, uh, and he he gave the rewinding the movie as an example of why he hated the film. And I didn't know what that meant. He hadn't told me enough. And I thought it was just like another one of those home invasion movies. But then realizing it was a remake and realizing the original is like a Criterion collection film, it was like, okay, I bet my friend missed something here. Uh, and so, yeah, I think I think if you go into this expecting like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre or like a, like a, a, like a, a film you would expect in 2008 when this came out like a like a home invasion slasher a purge or something like that you're going to be extremely disappointed Mm -hmm. uh because yeah it doesn't do any of the things that you want it to do it doesn't it's it's the idea again it's like oh you want violence okay here's the violence you're not going to feel good about it though we're not going to let you feel good about it yeah, this, like a, this like movie. another movie will let you feel good about it. We're not going to let you. This movie doesn't really reward you for watching it. <laughs> right. Well, I think that's the point, yeah. right? The yeah. director is, I don't want to reward you for watching violence. I want you to be upset at violence because violence is upsetting. Yeah. So, so I get it. Mission Here's accomplished. where I would like to come back to the director's whole mission and all that. Because I... Right. The core of what he's saying is something not only that I agree with, but it's something that I've said on previous podcasts of one of the many shows I've been on. I don't remember which one. That there was a famous quote that you can't make an anti-war movie because the moment you put war on screen, it looks super badass. Uh, It just looks cool. It's spectacular. It's, It's exciting. Your heart gets pumping. And the moment you put something on screen... It looks good, you know. If you're if you're showing somebody pooping on the toilet, that shot is still going to be framed up in a way, and the actor is going to be someone who is attractive enough to be an actor. It's going to be lit in just a way to strike the eye. Like everyone involved in that scene is trained to make something you want to watch, because otherwise, why did you what did you pay for? So if they try to make a movie with some you know message about you know, crime is bad or war is bad. The moment you have it in the hands of people whose entire job is to make this look cool. And these actors are all charismatic and you like watching them. You enjoy watching them interact and do their thing. It's all lit beautifully. These are beautiful people acting out things that any attempt you were trying to make about the thing being ugly is lost i don't think he's totally wrong about that at all his his statement about schindler's list where he says the moment you make the shower whether or not gas or water is going to come out the moment you you turn that into a form of of like uh in in, in almost like a horror way suspense, suspense yeah the moment you turn that into a scene of suspense you're doing something that's kind of fucked up because you're turning it into a form of entertainment. Even if the form of entertainment is supposed to teach you that these things were bad, I get the idea of what he's saying for sure. Yeah, I don't specifically agree with with all of it, but there's like... 
Um, well, I mean, like in, in that in in that specific instance, like Spielberg's intent is to make you experience it, uh, yeah, as exactly. most people would have. But um, I, yeah, I think there is definitely a lot of truth to to what he's talking about. Because um, as I soon think- as you said there's no anti-war movie, I was like, well, what about like Platoon or Jarhead? And it's like, well, those are still starring gorgeous people right. that are lit cool. It's. I think he's an extremist. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but it it makes him very it makes it very important to listen to him because I think that's what's great about the Jed Apatow clip <laughs> is because he's being very extreme, and then the 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 shot pans to someone who doesn't think about that at all, <laughs> or no. John Krasinski, who's who you could argue is making CIA propaganda. Right. John- it's the idea of like like. If I could take one of those two, I would take the guy who's actually thinking about what it means to show things in movies. Right. To to think about the responsibility God. of what they're doing. Krasinski, and that's why he's he, worth... he literally does a Jim from the office face when it cuts yeah. over to him. Yeah. <laughs> it's oh incredible. God. <laughs> and so that's what it is, is like, no, I don't I don't fully agree with this guy, but he what he's saying has to be in the back of every it's, filmmaker's yeah, it's mind. It's important, and I think I'm. This is not necessarily a fun movie to watch. It, it, we talk about how it, it it's its intent is to like punish you, um, but what he's saying is really important, and it's really important for anyone who makes movies or, or or creates any kind of art or storytelling that lots and lots of people consume. It's important to be responsible about what you're showing and what your intent is and just be you know no you don't necessarily have to be as extreme as this guy is but it's like it's yeah it's like dave was saying it's something that we all should keep in the back of our minds while we're doing this right what does this mean that we're doing this yeah and that's why i say that this director would probably hate the way i enjoy this movie because my whole thing is (laughs) i've seen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of horror movies in every genre and it is the rare movie that that gets me that where there's imagery that sticks in my mind you know like the the uh suspiria remake did that um it's just it takes a lot so for me if anyone out there if you're a horror movie fan and you kind of like you feel like modern horror is just very boring and it's all just about a, a, a wet old woman who's died and is haunting your home or whatever Right. This violates all of those rules that make horror boring to you. And it will surprise you in a way that horror should if it was really doing its job. Mm-hmm. So I enjoy it as a horror film on a very shallow level. It, it, does, it did not make me think, you know what? Actually, movie violence is wrong because I will watch another violent movie next week and it will be fine. I will, I will oh, enjoy sure. it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I... I it is great for a conversation starter. It's great to discuss. It is also, in my opinion, just a great piece of horror cinema because it, it, kind of in the same way that this is going to seem like a real stretch, but you know, a lot of the conversation around HP Lovecraft gets into the fact that he was one of the most racist people in history. Yes. Like even for his era, he was, he was racist. Yes. Yes, he was pretty racist. <laughs> this is true. He, this is a true fact. His horror stems from his racism. He, he his place where he had because he had a thing as far as I could tell, where he was like deathly afraid of like germs and sickness, 
And so he saw like foreigners as being like filthy. And you hear this language in like, it, like Trump speeches, like they're bringing mm-hmm. diseases. Like that's, there's a lot of science and brain science around people who are like naturally xenophobic or scared of immigration or anything like that. They also tend to be germaphobes because there's some, there's some brain thing where people who are not from our tribe are, they're, they're filthy, they're disgusting, their, their, their habits are gross. So from his weird mental place, he accidentally made earth, you earth shattering horror, like groundbreaking horror that, you know, every horror writer now does Lovecraft, like all of the monsters, you know, have tentacles because of Lovecraft. Mm-hmm. But his terror of anything different from him made him imagine a cosmos that was full of these big, ugly, writhing things, right? Because that was his whole, it was like he's manifesting his mental illness. Yeah, it, there was there was two things at work with him, which is interesting that they would connect in, in such a way to, to produce the horror that he wrote. One was he was a tremendous racist. Uh, so it's all that otherism. And two, he had like this weird obsession slash fear with um, stuff like non-Euclidean geometry and like just gaps in scientific knowledge really scared the shit out of him. So it was like those two fused together to make, you know, the the groundbreaking horror that he wrote, which is yeah. interesting. So here it's almost the opposite where you have a creator who is not right. interested in making horror but is coming at it from a very pious and almost preachy place accidentally because of that place he's in mentally made great horror. Do you see? I mean, in both cases, like their personal hangups about certain things wound up creating something that maybe they didn't intend. Like for all I know, HP Lovecraft, like all he wanted us to take away from his work is that you should never leave the house. Right. Because everything outside of your personal neighborhood is just a nightmare. <laughs> but, you know, I don't really, that's one thing about like trying to separate the work from the creator. I try to do that. Like I, the people listening to this who know that I write novels, like I'm doing Lovecraftian horror or else like a, a parody of Lovecraftian horror. Like I cannot separate myself from Lovecraft. And but when I read his work, I, I kind of mentally tell myself, well, He's not still profiting from it, and I don't. I don't take away from this. You should be scared of your neighbors who moved here from El Salvador. Like I don't. I don't take the ugly lesson that whatever was going on in his brain, and that's how, how I excuse myself because it's like I'm separating the message from it. Well, with this movie, I may be doing the opposite, where I'm just enjoying <laughs> it as a piece of horror, but I'm kind of detaching it from what he was trying to do because ultimately. It's the death of the author thing. Like once the piece of work is out there, unless you specifically went to go find his interviews, then you're not even going to know what he intended. Right. I do think it does come out a little in the the way the movie is made, but I think you'd have to like, like again, in the cinematography and stuff like that, but. You feel yeah, it for the most part. More than you know it. Like you, you right. it's the way he leaves you feeling Mm-hmm. That like your friend who who turned turned the movie off or, or hated it like just didn't like the way it made him feel right right exactly but didn't know and, and they had watched the thing they yeah. just watched an essay against like film because like, if an American set out with this mission you would get freaking natural born killers like you would get you would show right. a killer watching a horror movie and then going out and killing people and that's like that's how they would beat you over the head with like see movie violence made him really violent right and this is just 
how we're how the story is being told for the most part and and yeah how it all works out like it's it's so simple mm-hmm. again not even showing much of the violence like what did they have to do they bought like a bit of fake blood for this movie there's one, there's just the one effect when yeah. peter gets shot and flies back against the wall um, right that's it yeah yeah and for a jaded film watcher like me or horror film watcher again as i mentioned earlier I can't remember the last time blood and guts scared me or alarmed me or upset me or anything. Right. Because I, at this point, I'm just like impressed with yeah, the effect. Yeah, it has to be they... pretty extreme for it to bother me or to, or to get me in like an oh kind of way, you know? Yeah, <laughs> and it's usually something like really visceral, like in, um, like in, in Black Craig's... Swan, like the cutting her fingernails, that that kind of thing. Yeah, and you mentioned the Suspiria remake. Uh, I'm going to assume it was the scene where the girl is dancing and just breaks all her bones. Yeah, and, and um, it's the way yeah. it's performed, and it's extremely yeah. realistic and convincing, and, you know, at that point where she, like, like pisses herself yeah. because her body <laughs> is being, like, twisted, and, and it's just... You know, it takes a lot. It has to be really, really well done. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I'm coming away from that saying, wow, she really performed that scene well. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's the this guy's entire point. And that's why this movie is so such an effective piece of art to me, because his entire thesis is that most movies have a layer of safety and comfort between you and what's going on in the screen. Mm-hmm. When you watch that huge battle scene at the end of Avengers Endgame, you're not like, oh my gosh, all those people are dying. Like, it's just a CGI effect. It's like you are sitting there knowing you are completely safe. And it's the same thing when you watch Death Wish or any movie about crime. It's like you're not the victim of the crime. You're not in danger. And so it's just, I'm going to inflict harm on you <laughs> yeah. through the screen to make you to make you feel a tiny hint of what these people are feeling and to get you to where you're you do not want to see what happens next like you don't want you know in the whole thing where he's like if you stayed like he wants people to walk out in this movie he's like if you stayed for the whole thing then you apparently needed to stay for the whole thing like you needed to right. see where this goes but if you walk out then good you're you're a better person <laughs> it reminds me a little bit of old boy as well because that's another film that betrays its audience uh to sort of make the point where they're like oh you want a revenge movie all right here you go oh you feel you feel good now you feel good now that you've watched this like it's it's uh i i really because we're talking about the idea of like gore doesn't really bother us anymore uh so it's like what's left and it's like it kind of has to be this right it has to be a movie that just doesn't do the thing it's supposed to do uh in a horrifying way uh that really like i i get why this why this bothers you you know yeah to the point that it's you know um i'm trying to think of other movies that have done now that we've recited some other examples i'm trying to think of other movies that i've i've seen in my life where i walked away I think one example, like I think uh, Quentin Tarantino's best movie is Reservoir Dogs. Right. And because of what he did, which at the time it came in 1992, I saw it, I thought was genius, which is you see them, the this gang, it's, it's this heist movie where one, you never see the heist, but it starts out with this bunch of guys talking at a diner and then you you realize they're, they're criminals of some kind. You see one of them has a gun. 
And then it cuts to a guy bleeding in the back of a car and he's been shot in the gut and it's a wound that is not going to kill him, but it is unbelievably painful. And you just see him writhing and writhing and writhing with pain. And they haul him, they get to this warehouse and haul him in there and he's laying on the floor and he's bleeding. He's just writhing and he's, he's begging to be taken to the hospital for the rest of the movie. You are scared of someone getting shot. Because he yeah. has established right at the beginning, getting shot is horrible. It's right. not fun. It's not cool. It's not just. It's not just a sport. It is incredibly painful. You know, it's degrading. Like the guy, the guy can't move. There's nothing heroic about it. He's pathetic. He's pale and sweating just from the pain, and his body's going into shock. And for the rest of the movie that hangs over you because there's constant confrontations and it gets more and more tense and guys are getting each other's faces. Everybody's got a gun and you are rooting against anyone getting shot. And even though it is a heist movie, it's a violence movie, even though Quentin Tarantino would make his career off of like blood and guts slapstick that I realize makes the opposite point. And that movie, I admired that so much because it was the first time, you know, I, so I would have been a teenager when I saw it. It's the first time in my life for a kid who loves action, loves horror. That's always been me where I was scared of someone getting shot. Like I didn't, I I wanted these people when they were like arguing, I wanted them to calm down. I was like, chill out. Don't, you know, it doesn't need to come to guns here. (laughs) It's introducing a world where you realize there's no cinematic justice where it's just going to be, it is what it is. Yeah. Which Tarantino used to be so good at. That's what bothered me about, his later films, um, because he's actually doing the opposite, where he's doing like the extreme, like the fantasy endings. Like Django Unchained has this very unjust ending where Leonardo DiCaprio's character seems to have won. And you're like, shit. That reminded me of a film like Old Boy again. But then he sort of just goes, eh, never mind. It's going to be a big shootout. And I'm not sure. I, I feel like that's less effective. Uh, than a movie like Reservoir Dogs, where things just sort of happen. I don't know. Um, the comedy, the comedy version of it is um, a movie like The Nice Guys, where he he <laughs> goes to break, where he goes to break into that house or the apartment, <laughs> and he and he wraps his hand and he breaks a window, and then he accidentally cuts himself, and then it becomes a real problem, yeah. and then he has to go in the right. ambulance. He's just like shit, and then he holds his. Hand, and the next scene, he's in the back of an ambulance, and the paramedics says, "We're losing." And they're him. like, "We're losing him." Yeah. <laughs> Because that's how it would actually yeah. go down. You can't just break a window with your hand. You might cut an artery. Yeah. Yeah. You, uh, yeah. And comedy that, could do that. Comedy, that's like a oh, staple yeah. of comedy, is like, we're going to take these tropes and turn them on their head, you know, and so you're expecting this and you get that. It's the rare horror movie that does it. it, it yeah. Because horror. You know, I get asked in interviews, it's like, well, as a horror author, like, what went wrong in your life that made you want to write horror? It's it's like or what did you because they want I guess some backstory that's uh, it, where you know it's like I don't know I, it's like I was raised by by a cult or something and it damaged my brain but from my point of view the whole reason you enjoy horror is that you watch it and it's scary and then even if you're even if the characters die at the end the, the credits roll and the movie's over like it's 
it's like waking up from a nightmare and realizing the nightmare wasn't real. Like, you know, you having the dream that you're back in high school and you're having to take a test that you'd never been to the class, and but you've got to take the test and you forgot your locker right. combination and all that stuff. Um, but then you wake up and that, that when you wake up from it, that's like the best moment because you realize it wasn't real. And with horror, that's the whole thing. No matter how gory or ugly it gets, it is just a movie and the, the, the movie's going to end, the light's going to come up and you're going to walk away. And it's like, well, my real life isn't nearly that bad. And that's why we think horror is fun. It's like a roller coaster. It's like you were never in danger, but you tricked your body for a moment into thinking, oh, it's like, oh, we shouldn't be taking this turn this fast. You know, this is dangerous. But of course, no, you, you were not in danger. It was just, and then the ride ends and you get off and you laugh at how scary it was. Horror to me is like very wholesome in a way because it's, it kind of takes you to a world where morality is simpler there's a monster. He looks like a monster, you know, and usually they defeat him at the end. Or if they don't, he'll be back. But it's fine because by like the third movie, he's like the hero, like the Freddy Krueger. By like right. by like the third movie, he's this wisecracking goofball, and you know, you, people are little kids are dressing up as him for Halloween. And it, I don't know. It's not. It usually doesn't reach out and really you know grab you unless you're really sensitive to certain images or things like that most people you're not traumatized by it because again there's this deal you've made with the audience that this is fun we're having fun here you know you're not actually going to run into a a house full of chainsaw wielding you know cannibals that's not going to happen that's never going to happen in your life so we're going to have fun by imagining a world where that's the kind of thing that happens to people this movie follows you out of the theater yeah yep even it does it by breaking even the horror movie rules where like we all accept that the hero might not win at a hor- in the end of a horror movie mm-hmm. um films like the omen or the exorcist where like there's sacrifices well the heroes still uh, win in the exorcist but yeah but yeah but they but get to be price. heroic is the yeah. thing yeah exactly they get to look um, cool they get to like if they fail in the end it's like they gave it their right. all the omen's a good example of like him failing horribly, yes, and just coming out like a like a a nutball. But it's still you 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 under there's still like certain rules to it. Um, it's funny now that bringing up the omen, the omen is actually kind of similar to this movie mm-hmm. because the villain has ultimate power, and as much as they try to stop him, there's nothing the they villain can do, ultimately yeah. there's nothing, <laughs> there's they, nothing can they can do. Nothing they can do about it. But they still are able to create it. It's almost like more actiony there's a little more hope in the omen uh, you still, think they're making progress yeah this movie is like no we're never leaving this house yeah and they never like, make any progress yeah there's no progress it's just you're stuck here with us yep every time you think maybe something is going in a way that can help them nope absolutely not <laughs> uh yeah i really enjoy it yeah we never we never we didn't say ask each other how we liked the movie um um i enjoy the movie's intent more than i actually enjoyed the movie like i i I respect what it's saying i respect the way it was executed it's not it's probably not a movie i'll watch again at least not in a while i i I will never watch it again Why would I? I? I got it. <laughs> yeah, no, I got, I got it, man. There's no reason to experience. This I mean, again. there's some, there's some cool filmmaking things that can be appreciated. That I, there's a lot of craft in this movie that I to, to make it do what it does. In a lot of the choices they make, we've talked about the music and score, or lack of score, things like that. There's a lot mm-hmm. to go back. That's not. I, I'm fine yes. reading someone else's take on that. Right. <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't need to pop this bastard on again. <laughs> I, I, I'm still very tempted to watch the remake, but I know that it's just going to be this. It's going to be exactly the same, just with Naomi Watts and Tim Roth. I can't yeah. imagine it being as scary. The fact, just the fact that the, it's more, the location's more familiar, and the, and the actors are actors I've known. Right. It's just, it's not going to, it's not going to hit the same way. But some of your your yeah. listeners who don't like to read their movies know that the remake is not some cheap cash grab. It's the same director going literally same script, shot by shot, line by line, intentionally try to make it the exact same movie. But for example, the actor that plays Paul is incredible in that movie in that in that role. Yes. Like he is so hateable that I can't I can't even imagine who in all of Hollywood history. Because if you're like, well, you know, if you, if you're naming me some famous horror villain, it's like, no, you don't get it. He's <laughs> loathsome in a way that doesn't even fit in like movie world. Like movie villains are always kind of cool or they're so awful exactly, that it's kind yeah. of cartoonish or something like that um we we love our villains that are kind of charismatic because that's you know in horror it's all about the villain you know usually it's all about the quality of the villain uh here gosh the way he plays it his mannerisms he you just he's so repulsive but not in an over-the-top way he's not he doesn't wear a a mask made of human skin. He's not, he's not anything. He's just this guy. It's a guy you've met before. And he, there's just like nothing inside him. You never learn why they're doing this. You yeah. never know. And it's, and you're denied that there's no origin story. And I, I would love it if some, <laughs> if some American producer out there was like, we ought to make a prequel to this, like an origin story of where these guys came <laughs> from, like how they were abused at the tennis school or something. And this, this director would set himself on fire. If that yeah. <laughs> Cause it's you, you're denied everything you want. You're denied the moment of the glimpse of humanity. You're denied the, the moment where they fail or where they, they realize what they're doing is wrong. Or they have that, as you mentioned earlier, that the conflict between the two of them that would maybe give you an opportunity you're denied everything you want in this movie. <laughs> Whatever you want, you are not going to get it. Oh man, yeah, this is it's so much, so much fun. Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> it's quite a film. I, if I had Jeff Bezos' money, I would make this director. I would give him any amount of money he wanted to make like a Transformers movie. <laughs> And be like, no, you have no rules. You don't have to make it anyway. Make it you your want. own Transformers. That yeah. would be the make biggest. Make your own Transformers. The, the, the mightiest troll of all time would be, be to so give this good. guy a Transformers movie. Yeah. Now, there are people like, out there. Say whatever you want. There are people out there in your audience that know this filmmaker very well. Because he's actually made uh, several things that were award-winning, like, Oh yeah, uh, like film festival favorites. It's uh, like a more he he won or he didn't win. He got nominated for Academy Awards um, for that one. And uh, I, the movie The White Ribbon. I think I heard Michael Swain bring that up just on a podcast we did the other yeah. day. Uh, that so the so uh, again, there are people out there that are huge fans of this guy. Maybe kind of frustrated that we're like trying to struggling to pronounce his name. Like he's he has made a lot of movies, and, right. and they are they tend to be. It looks like the theme of like the unflinching reality of you know because there's some that deal with like elderly people struggling with life and the indignity of of all the ravages of old age and or a dementia or something like that and it's like kind of i'm not gonna pretty this up for you like i'm gonna show you 
you know the the ugliness of, of this period of life that movies don't like he clearly kind of has that sensibility and, and i get the sense that he makes some great cinema because of that you know he's coming at it from yeah. a particular place He's got a yeah. he's got a pretty interesting filmography. I'm gonna have to watch some of these movies. Um, yeah, and I want I want to see a Transformers. Yeah, do a Transformers. <laughs> you do it if you're like, look, you never have to get funding for another one of your sad movies again. Another one of your depressing real movies. Yeah, just do one Transformers. Yep, I just mean, one this Transformers is- in your set. This is the process in Hollywood now. Is basically if you make one well-regarded indie movie, your very oh, next yeah. film is is like uh, it's a Star Wars. Yeah, it's a Star Wars, I, or it's it's you get Captain Marvel two or whatever. The, the one that always gets me is the director of Downfall, the Hitler movie, the Hitler the meme, the, movie, the Hitler meme movie, uh, yeah. which is a terror. That's another terrifying film, and it's another movie this director brought up. Um, but he went on to do the Invasion of the Body Snatchers movie, uh, Invasion. Sure. Because, yeah, he went. He came to America, and they were like, great Hitler movie. You want to do a pod person film? And he's like, ah, oh, Yeah, well, it's, all right. it's like the um, um, Troll Hunter and Autopsy of Jane Doe yeah. guy. They're like, you want to do scary stories to tell in the yeah. dark? And it's like, great, thanks. Sure. <laughs> And then he and then he went back. He went back to Germany. He was like, "All right, that place. <laughs> I'm done with that shit. <laughs> yeah, that place sucks." Make there another can... movie about Hitler freaking out on meth in his bunker. Yeah. See, I don't know if I could ever watch Downfall as a movie because I've seen eight thousand memes where they've done the new subtitles, and I would just the right. whole time I'd be chuckling. Like, it's it's good, but like it's really good because what you're watching is. Um, uh, uh, like a Jonestown. Mm-hmm. That's that's what you realize. It's a horror movie in the sense that you're watching a death cult. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're they're poisoning their kids. You know, like yeah, they're 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 killing themselves. Killing themselves. And it's and all their families, falling apart. Yeah, and it's and, and you're it's, not. Yeah, you don't feel bad about it, but it's like it's he's just in a full blown meltdown, and it's yeah. it's really good. It's very well done. You feel bad for like the kids. Sure. They show the people. They show the people who still not like who don't understand Mm -hmm. what happened uh but yeah you don't feel bad for i don't know hitler (laughs) Uh, not shedding any tears you know like oh poor hitler (laughs) you you show they show how they failed and that scene is basically hitler realizing that they failed uh yeah it's 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 him having a full-blown trump meltdown pretty much yeah it's so sad that there are so many great films in my life where because like the movie North by Northwest, I think is considered like a, a classic. But mm-hmm. to me, it's, oh, yeah. it's that movie where that crop duster almost hits the guy who's running away from it. And right. like, that's the only scene in the movie. It's, it's that scene right. where, where that plane almost hits that guy. Cause if you watch, if anyone mentions it in a montage or, or they refer to it, it's always that same shot. Right. Yeah. As far as you know, that movie is Jaws, but for crop dust. <laughs> right, it's just about a guy trying to get away from a crop dust. Yeah. Yeah, and I Love Lucy was a show about a woman who worked on an assembly line and stuffed chocolates into her shirt. Because right. for some reason, that one sequence is the only thing. That show was like, they made like 2,000 episodes, I think. Yeah. For, yeah. for whatever reason, and if someone's having a conversation, they refer to I Love Lucy. They will cut to a shot of her in front of the conveyor belt with the chocolates going past, and she like can't keep up with them. And it's like, yeah. oh, yeah, it's that show where that lady worked at a chocolate factory. <laughs> it's, uh, it's so sad because there's all of this nuance and everything that yeah. gets, gets lost. 
It's a yeah. you should see North by Northwest, man. Cary Grant kicks Martin Landau off of Mount Rushmore. Yeah. You would from the crop duster scene. That? You probably would not guess that that's where that movie yeah, is. Yeah, but why is that not the shot they show us? <laughs> right. Every time they want to reference that that movie, just uh, throwing same, Martin Landau off Mount Rushmore. Same thing as there's like a whole generation of kids that like The Godfather is just is just a guy in a tuxedo saying, "I made him an offer he couldn't refuse." And that's it. That's the entire nine hours of that saga. It's just that, that one line of that guy who sits yeah. in the dark in a tuxedo with a, like a cat. I think he had at the time. Uh, it's like the whole thing gets boiled down to that because that's that's the line, buddy. That's that's. Uh... But anyway, it, it's uh, the, the last thing on this is that we we kind of touch on this, but my least favorite genre of anything is the don't you feel bad for watching this thing and if you the reviews that came out about the last of us 2 mm-hmm. the game where it simultaneously is oh, trying yeah. to tell the story about the futility of revenge but the gameplay loop is you just murdering people in spectacular fashion like oh yeah you can just oh yeah amazing and you're gonna kill amazing murder. 500 people on the way to realizing that violence is wrong and there's like no there's many places in the game where you can't necessarily stealth past the enemies that was part of my beef with the first game where it's like your mission is literally kill everyone in this abandoned hotel <laughs> right you cannot advance until you kill them all and then you have like a cut scene where we're supposed to feel bad about uh you know and and i it's i again i get it and i get i think from their point of view they're like well yeah but that's better than just glorifying it like we're trying to at least put something in there I same as it did it, the second one did it really well i think it was it was if you didn't play it um i did not it it, it uh, yeah i don't want to spoil anything but it it takes what exactly what you're talking about and uses that yeah. as part of the message yeah, it sort of uses that against you <laughs> yeah um but it's the same thing it's like these days i can detect when a movie it's it's about like the trauma of war yet when they shoot the war scenes i felt like the hurt locker did this like the scenes where he's diffusing the bombs and stuff it's so it makes it look badass it makes it, yeah, look, it still has to be yeah it's still gotta be cool director look, of point break it's gonna look awesome it's gonna look awesome and he's very <laughs> handsome and he's very charismatic and and the bad guys are bad and I don't know. Again, I'm not trying to condemn anybody. I'm not trying to be preachy by saying your your preachy movie is garbage. It's just that one reason why this movie stands out with me is because normally, like you know, like obviously, Natural Born Killers was Oliver Stone is not a subtle filmmaker and is not no, <laughs> and it is not subtle enough to pull this off. Whatever you like or didn't like about starship troopers it's not you know paul verhoeven not subtle as a satirist <laughs> and no, no and, and yet some, somehow people still miss it and, uh, and like yeah, that in like robocop yeah you can't it's it's true that there's you, you can't be too blunt with your message for for many audiences there was a we watched we saw paul, paul verhoeven talk about starship troopers um not too long ago and they talked to him about that and he was just like yeah i don't understand i literally put <laughs> right. them in nazi He's like, i literally dressed them up as nazis i don't know how anybody missed yeah. it <laughs> yeah um but people did uh, yeah and uh, it, anyway it's, it's actually hard to think of a, a good 
example of a movie that's done it well because even like the purge movies where it's like you know deep down if we all had the chance we would all murder each other which is not true no like it's such a paper thin premise but even then like they they make sequel after sequel because people go to see it it's like would be cool to live in the purge universe like it's you know the the bad guys are all like in elaborate masks and stuff and it's it's an adventure the the heroes all look like frank grillo Right, and they're they're also they're also those movies are trying to say stuff about class and like say oh no the purge is bad, but it's like stop making it look so cool. It's definitely, I don't think movies have to not make the movies they're making. I think the lesson is like to do a better job at showing these things. Yeah, depiction like, is the problem. Like when you're when a character this is such a little thing, but when a character like cries in a movie. Uh, there's so many times where they're still trying to look like attractive, uh, and it's Hollywood. No, nah, man, it's yeah, like, give, no, give us a full on me, ugly cry. <laughs> yeah, I want to see a snot bubble. Yeah, like come on, uh, uh, which is done in this movie, not a snot bubble, but like the their the part where they react to their kid being killed is they're horrified, they're they're wailing yeah, that, out that wailing. And so was, it's it's the little things. It's like do the extra effort. If you're going to have violence in a movie, mm-hmm. make it violent. And and by that, I mean make it upsetting. I don't need to see someone's skeleton pop out. <laughs> I just need to see... I, I need to do. see it. Well, yeah. <laughs> but I, I need, like... Obviously, it depends on the movie. Right, making, yeah, yeah. Too. But, like, show the gravity of the situation. Mm-hmm. Well, here's, uh, here's the best example I know of recently, which is that, you know, Hollywood... You can get a PG-13 in a film in which 8 million people die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As long as like you shoot someone and you, maybe there's like a little bit of a CGI blood splatter and then they fall out of frame. As long as you don't show consequences, it's PG-13. Right. If you show an, uh, that person's intestines spilling out and then them screaming in pain, that the pain you just cause them because bullets tear your body up. Like a, a shot to your shoulder, you're yeah. you're you're gonna have pain in your shoulder and limited movement for the rest of your life. That bullet will shatter bones, it will tear ligaments, it will destroy things that can't be repaired. It's also there's an artery up there, so it's like potentially fatal. Exactly. <laughs> but if you showed the actual consequences, like if you showed Captain America beating up those people on that boat at the beginning of whichever Winter Soldier, whatever that was, like yeah. if you showed him like a guy getting his jaw broken. And the guy like gagging and struggling to breathe and like his or his right. lung has been collapsed or his trachea has been collapsed because he hit him in the neck with his shield. And the guy's like struggling to suck in air and like vomiting. It would get an R or an NC-17. Well, which is the message would you rather show children that hitting someone right. in the neck just makes them fall off screen? And, and now you you can go win the prize. You've done the heroic thing or actually showing what that does to a person. The, the way we have it is backward where, and this is exactly what this, this guy is saying that you sanitize it. It's like, well, we'll make this safe for the kids by making the violence look easy and clean. And like, it's an effortless solution to all of your problems. Right. To where even if you have the, like the hero spare the villain at the end, the villain will inevitably, as you said, do something that forces him to kill him anyway. It's like, yeah, I made the yep. effort, uh, you know, <laughs> I didn't want to do I it. I also, 
I think it's not just violence. Like we talked about uh, fascism and and like that in in an Avengers film where it kind of glosses over, it sugarcoats it. They they there's also stuff like you know, alcoholism. Like they never show James Bond waking up having like shit his bed, like hung over and out of control. Like they don't like movies sanitize everything. It's just that violence is one of the most like notable ones. Yeah. Or how easily Tony Stark got over his PTSD. Right. Even though he he endured many many more traumatic events <laughs> like after multiple that. Multiple layers of PTSD. Right. <laughs> and again, going back to Shane Black who who made um <clears throat> The nice guys he's the only one who did that in any of the iron mans he's like this guy would have horrible ptsd yeah. so let's actually make it part of the the movie yeah, he saw aliens emerge from a hole in the sky <laughs> yeah. and now knows that can happen again at any moment at any time <laughs> he would dream about nothing else <laughs> yeah that'd be it for him that's yeah. all that he would be talking yep. about oh man yeah, I, uh, yeah, uh, this movie I appreciate what it does for that reason. Yeah. Uh, um, do we have any final thoughts? I feel like we should probably we're, we're approaching two hours. I know, as as is the, <laughs> as is customary. Right, as is, yes. as is the way. Yes, I'm worried that anybody that only listened to this and without watching the movie, I mean, if for some people this is a perfectly good substitute for having watched the movie because this mm-hmm. podcast will not traumatize you in the way that the movie probably would. Yes, yeah. Uh, for those who have seen it, I hope this helped you appreciate it more because I think some people who watched it probably did come away with it just saying like, "Oh, that's trash." I guess just right. Yeah, uh, yeah. You could definitely like this movie dares you to to keep watching. It's so unpleasant. <laughs> that's yeah kind of the point yeah, that's our endorsement of this yeah. movie <laughs> that's the yeah. best thing art, i can say about this movie art should make you feel things and so many movies yeah. you watch you forgot about them five minutes after the credits rolled and you forgot you even watched it this is another movie that i brought where you will not forget that you watched it that's my well, that's my promise <laughs> yeah i think that i think the key to this film is show it to your friends i used to do this with old boy uh, you show it. You show it to friends who are like who've seen it all, who like horror movies, and you watch them just feel bad. Yeah. It's like, hey, you should. Watch. And then they're like, why did you do that to me? It's like I don't know because it's funny, because because <laughs> I knew what you would go through. Yeah, after I wanted to watch this. somebody else go through this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have yourselves a nice little night. Watch this. Follow it up with like I don't know, Antichrist, mm-hmm. uh, the Lansmar Trier. <laughs> just like have a have a have, make a night of it. Yeah. Of just feeling real bad. Yep. <laughs> the, the good movies should be like a, a prank you can play on someone else. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just deprive them of sleep for the next two nights. Uh-huh. Okay, before I go, uh, I'm, I'm here. I've got a book that came out this week called "Zoe Punches the Future in the Dick." It does not. It is not as alarming as this. <laughs> as this movie, yeah. Uh, but uh, but it, I feel like the title pretty much conveys the tone. I will say, having read it, you 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 do. Uh, subvert tropes and have fun with tropes uh, within the book. Yeah, and it was very entertaining. No, that's a. I'm, I'm gonna gonna toot Jason's horn. That's the thing that you do in pretty much all your books. Is oh, yeah. do something that's like, oh, that's not what I expected at all. <laughs> yeah, this book's no different. It's really fun. Yeah, uh, I don't want to spoil People anything. People should buy but it. But I, 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 
I, I stayed up till four in the morning finishing it <laughs> on a night where I was like, I'm just going to read for an hour and go to bed. <laughs> four in the morning. I'm like, God damn it. You're the second uh, person that's given me that compliment. And that's about as good as it gets. The other person that oh, said yeah. they stayed up till three thirty, having to, to finish it. But yeah. Um, yeah. if you, if the, if you read the book, if in the first half of the book, if you can predict where the second half goes, I will send you a thousand dollars. That is my, <laughs> that is my Ooh. promise. That is the, I, I think the publisher, no, I, I'm being told not to promise that. Um, <laughs> no, they're shaking their I, I work really, really hard to give you plots where it doesn't go where you think and not necessarily where you, it, it is not, I am not out to abuse the reader. Uh, <laughs> like this movie was but um yeah so it's and you can i have other books out there you can read the customer reviews they're all they're all pretty positive but that's yeah i'm making the podcast rounds trying to trying to get people to buy this book in the middle of of a pandemic (laughs) i mean shit what else do people what else you gonna do (laughs) read the book it, it is our time we spent struggling against like the social media algorithm uh it cracked yeah trying to promote something on social media right now on the cusp of this world changing election in the middle of this world altering pandemic pretty hard to break through yeah people's streams of of information to to advertise a book it's 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 uh facebook is not favoring it's buy this book posts as opposed to trump outrage or here's the the latest thing that's going to kill you posts so right look money might not exist in a year so why not use yours (laughs) Mm -hmm. to get this book money might not exist in a few months (laughs) Yeah, yeah so just uh yeah get it you know get it now get it while the enjoy it, good enjoy it now it will yeah. take your mind off things for a little bit however fast you read it it, it should it, it should successfully distract you from what's going on because you if yeah. you've been like me and, and walked away from your day job several months ago and you you to assume a full-time job of scrolling through your phone yep. <laughs> for, because you're so scared if you don't look at your phone that things will somehow get even worse it's like if i as long as i'm watching the news it can't be that bad it's like that superstition people have about sports like if i root for the team then they'll they'll win well, that's my thing right. if i if i keep scrolling through twitter then the outrages will stay under control like because i'm yes. watching right. them uh and yeah. So if you if you like me are addicted to just endlessly scrolling through headlines and things that upset you, here's something that will distract you for a couple of days, uh, depending on how quickly you read. Yep. Yeah, check it out. That's yeah, all that's I can do. Good. That's the only service I can offer humanity right now. I'm sorry. This is the best I've got. <laughs> it's something though. Yeah, it's it's, it's definitely something. Yeah. Uh Dave, tell them about something else. Uh, all right. Well, we have a Patreon. Patreon.com slash Gamefully Unemployed. Uh, if you go on there for $5 a month, you can have exclusive podcasts like Tom and Jeff Watch Batman and Fox Mulder is a Maniac. Uh, go ahead and check that out. Yeah, and we also have a store at tpublic.com slash store slash Gamefully Unemployed. We can get t-shirts, masks, mugs, stickers, posters, all kinds of stuff. We have a brand new shirt that is Mitch Pledgy's face. Uh, his police sketch from the 1989 Wes Craven film Shocker. Yeah, so, uh, please check that all, out. For all you shocker fans, all you shocker fans. <laughs> Easily three times an episode, I hear the title of a movie I've not thought about in twenty years. 
Like, oh yeah, yeah I, hear, I hear a reference as if everyone knows. Well, yeah, we've got right. the Shocker shirts out. <laughs> it's, a, it's a popular touchstone for people. Um, uh, yeah, uh, I think that's I think that's a sewed. Um, right. Say goodbye, everyone. Everybody, say goodbye. And uh, audience, I will probably be back to discuss uh, that movie where Mel Gibson plays Santa Claus. Oh, for sure. <laughs> oh, thank God. Yes. Yeah, we have to talk We're about doing that. It. Is that, is yeah. that actually coming out at Christmas or is it coming out sooner? When, when does that come out? I mean, if they're smart, it'll come out at Christmas. That'll really get everybody's yeah. it's perfect encapsulation of everyone's holiday spirit this year. Yeah, perfect Christmas film. 